Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. It's interesting that you were bringing up Joe Rogan there because he was someone that, you know, when he was starting and he was coming up, he was, you know, building that momentum. He was doing four or five podcasts a week or whatever, which is kind of a theme you look at in the album in terms of what you're saying about kind of hyperconsumption or need as a society to constantly be consuming things and absorbing stuff. To what degree does that affect you as creators and as artists? It's, I don't know, it's an interesting, I guess I sort of themed the whole album around it, you know, it's it doesn't really affect me personally other than the fact that you know in everyday life we sort of live through this hyper consumption of ev- like you know comparing yourselves to everyone else and you know trying to sort of keep up with the rat race I guess I guess it affects in that way I, I wouldn't say it personally affects me as an artist um other than I mean I suppose striving for goals I guess it kind of does uh, because of the whole like like always having to write always having to release uh, music and all that yeah keeping up it's with on a loop that. really isn't it yeah yeah what you did was it like fifteen singles and two EPs before the album even came out? Yeah, <laughs> crazy. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah, we literally. definitely should have put an album out about ten years ago. Like, <laughs> it wouldn't have been half as good though, really, would it? So, nah, it's definitely. Um, it feels like the right moment for us to be releasing an album, but um, I think people would have expected it sooner. We definitely weren't ready. Yeah, I mean, lyrically, I can't imagine this record like two years ago. Nah. Like in terms of what it's discussing, it feels so present. Yeah, definitely. I, th- I think that was probably the moment I sort of, uh, it was it was about two years ago, sort of like started thinking about that whole infinite pleasure concept. Um, yeah, and to be honest, from then onwards was when I really started, um, you know, concentrating and delving into lyrics a lot more. I must admit, I haven't usually been, um, you know, I, I have, it's usually been last on my list after catchy riffs <laughs> like you know going back like five years ago I would never usually concentrate on lyrics that much so I suppose you're right um you know if you put an album out three years ago it definitely wouldn't be as lyrically deep as it it is now do you think you would have still made an album like this but it would have maybe just been like your second or third record I think that's what it feels like it feels like yeah, it's, it really um, does. yeah it, it feels like we're like a couple of records deep but it's weirdly our debut album 
Yeah, but I mean, like you say, we we're, we're like 15 singles deep, you know? Yeah, in a way, we're already an album in. Yeah. I mean, there's your... Without we, we've done it. the greatest hits record, and now we're on to <laughs> the second album. <laughs> the Greatest Hits Volume 2. That's the name of the album. <laughs> it is interesting to think about. Like, it's something we don't look at with artists these days, that when you come in with your debut album, the progression is much further along. Is that something you bear in mind quite a lot? Were you looking back at the kind of 15 singles and two EPs and deciding where to go from there? Well, weirdly enough, like as an artist, you know, I'm sure a lot of artists can um, can compare to this, but everything you write or release or record, you always think that's the best thing you've ever done. You're, you're always like, oh, right, okay, well, now we're, we're going in deep waters now. Like this is so much more mature, you know? And then you look back at it, like a year, a year will pass. You'll look back and go, oh man, yeah, like I'm not a fan of that anymore. We've like gotten to this point where like I personally feel I won't feel like that in a year's time, but you never know, you know, but like... Well, we've been sitting on this album for quite a while and we all still really like it. So I think that's a testament to to the material, in my in my opinion. Yeah, that's almost what I was trying to say, but... Just yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How long have you been sitting on it? Quite a while. I mean, we, we've done... Uh, we did two sessions of recording so the first session was in the summer of 2019 yeah yeah so we we started a lot of the material then and we had some of the some of the singles uh like polaroid unnatural swim for your life were in and then we just kept writing and it kept developing so we we've in some form we've probably had the album like ready to go since about then and then it's just developed yeah, we, we just got. kept adding, didn't we? Sometimes you've got to yeah. know when to stop as well. Definitely. So, yeah, I think we, we sort of hit the sweet spot and just called it, didn't we? When everything mm. from this point onwards can go to album two. Yeah, literally. <laughs> How does that change about the way you feel about the songs that have been there the longest, when the kind of context they're surrounded by and what they're framed in is constantly shifting? I, I suppose the older songs on the record are, the, are sort of our favourites, like um, Medicine was the first track we recorded with um, our producer, Julian Thomas, who I, I know you've interviewed. Yeah, um, good guy. Yeah, yeah he's, he's class, isn't um, he? The Goblin King. He's class. <laughs> yeah, we call him the Goblin King. The King of Goblins. Wait, why? Um, Hold on. I don't actually I don't, know, I don't to, know, be know that, to be honest. Probably because we're all goblins and he's our king. And he's the king of, of us, <laughs> yeah. yeah. We were all a bunch of nerds that. as well, to be honest. I think it, it, it has something to do with that. He's the biggest nerd of all. But in a, a good way. In a good way, yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> I can't remember the question now. But oh, yeah, medicine. So <laughs> That wasn't um, even the question. Medicine? Yeah, medicine? Question mark? <laughs> um, yeah, so basically medicine was, um, it's technically, apart from the remake, the revamp of that dress, it's technically the oldest song. Um, it's definitely the oldest song we've recorded um, on the record. It was the first song we did with Julian. Yeah, I guess from then there's been... Uh, Tom mentioned before there was a few singles that didn't make it, which which were originally meant to be on the album. But um, I suppose we just cherry picked and we got we sort of just chose our favourites to be honest, um, which ones were gonna make it or not. And then from then on, it was sort of like we every new song. It was that thing I was saying before: every new song you think's the best thing you've written. Yeah. So it was just like kick that off, get that on, <laughs> kick that off, get that on. Was like diversity in sound a factor in choosing the tracks for it? Because when you look at the album, it's very much in your soundscape, but you're kind of at both ends of it. You're pushing it as far as you can go in either direction in terms of the heaviness and the softer yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of variety on the album. 
it was on purpose I think. yeah i wouldn't say two any two songs on the record sound the same really um but the thing is with some of the songs that we kicked off that um like for example confession box is quite similar to a track called polaroid we did last year and take your times in a very similar vein to uh swim for your life um which are all songs that did make the record but we we consciously chose to leave them off to leave room for these newer songs which were in a similar vein but we did want the the record to be well like a variety of different not not different styles but you know I, I don't like listening to an album where like you know you got 10 tracks on a record and they all sound the same yeah very all, similar all like so. rock heavy yeah we've, yeah. we've been guilt, guilty of that in the past i must admit and that's just a hindsight thing it's like you know i look back to our first ep and think wow we, we definitely used to rely on a formula you know like i mean that i'm i'm guilty of that like i'll hold my hands up um, I used to rely on a formula and think, oh, this is working. Let's let's do more of that. But now I sort of make a conscious decision when writing not to write something that was the same as the last. Yeah. It's part of that. I know, I know you're saying that the first EP is a little bit like rock heavy, rock centric. Is that just a kind of case of finding your sound though as well? Yeah. yeah. yeah like like yeah. I say, you sort of like, you, you strike on something that just works and you all look at each other and you're like, oh man, we found our sound. But like, I've learned that like... Uh, that's happened like like at least once... Yeah, though, hasn't it? Uh, yeah. And we're always like, we've got it again. And it's like, like <laughs> there's, there's almost no such thing as like having a sound, especially yeah. in our sort of world. Cause I, just, I just feel like you can re- rely on something far too much. And before you know it, you've wrote um, 20 songs which sound the same. So yeah, we, de- we definitely try to keep a variety on the record. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting because how long have you been playing together now? Five? Yeah, about five years. Yeah, around that. Five years. And you're saying, you know, you've been working with Joey and your producer for almost three or, three or two years? Uh, three years, yeah, but only like... Three. Like, obviously it isn't constant. So we recorded medicine in... End December, of 2018. 2018, wasn't it? Yeah, so, 18. When you have both of those constants while you're making the record, you know, these things that have been in the band for a while, how, where do you kind of find a sense of chaos and unpredictability in the process to kind of give it that energy and that spark and that fire? Um, I suppose the sort of, um, the mindset of trying to create something different to the last thing constantly keeps it interesting. Like I feel comfortable if, you know, if, if I've written a song, which, you know, most bands would say, ah, that's not, that's not us. I would feel comfortable showing the lads. And if, you know, I would say it's 50, 50 of like the chance that, they might say like, that's not going to work for this. I sort of like, they're, they're really good at sort of like judging us. <laughs> like, <laughs> to, it's like, actually a hobby. Yeah. It, it's just always good to get a second opinion. And I would never lads say now if I'm wrong, but I've never forced you to play anything you don't want to play. Do you know what I mean? There's never been a time I've, I, I'll, I'll try and persuade, you know, like I'll always try and be like, go on, you'll, it'll grow on you. But yeah. um, I've never went. <laughs> the whole this album. This is how it is. <laughs> the whole album. <laughs> yeah. All yeah, EPs and all singles. I think in the studio, like Julian really encouraged us to try lots of different things. Definitely. I think he was very much. I think the one thing I remember was he was saying, "Don't think of it as as singles. It's like if the song is seven minutes long and it feels this way and it feels right, just go with it." And I think that really freed us up to to kind of find that spark and try new things. Did you notice a big shift in the songwriting after that point? I think so, yeah, definitely. I think it definitely, in my mind, he made me feel comfortable with the fact that 
the sky's the limit when it, it comes to like layers really you know we're a three-piece and like we constantly had this mindset of like look how are we going to perform this live like we're going to have to keep it quite simple because like you know we are going to have to recreate this but julian said that you know there's like one percent of your audience that are ever going to get to see you live so like why not try and make this record or the track or whatever like the best it can possibly be by using anything you want you know like mm. don't limit yourself which is what, like, so I, I guess that did open, That's open crazy up to us. think, 1%. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? It is mad. I suppose for you guys that are a band that have kind of become famed for your live shows over the last Well, it kind of makes sense because we, we only have 100 fans and there's only ever one person at a gig. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> was our tour manager. Oh yeah, I wasn't including the sound guy too. Were, were there any, when you went into that recording process, were there any sides to the album that became embellished that you hadn't expected before you went in? Any size that really grew throughout the process and became quite prominent? I guess just that spontaneous spontaneousness to like um, to do whatever. And I know I feel like broken record, I'm just repeating myself. But for example, it's like we went in to record Take Your Time, which is like, it was predominantly like a guitar-based song. And we just I just started messing with this synth called Nomnichord. And then that became like the sound of that of that track you know and it was totally unexpected it's got quite a poppy bounce yeah exactly again yeah. Uh, julian added this sort of like uh like drum machine almost just like a, it's just one little note like throughout i it's like a hi-hat replica it's, it's, like yeah. a, it's just stuff that we I mean, wouldn't usually but it's on the offbeat of the he, he brought things to the table that we wouldn't usually think of and i guess that opens up a new realm for when you are writing new songs, or like a whole new realm of possibilities. I'm trying. Is that song four on the floor as well? I'm trying to think. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I think all of ours are to be. Fair. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, there's the formula back. <laughs> Every single one. I love it, me. It just adds a bit of edge, doesn't it? Well, it gives it momentum. It keeps it driving. Yeah, yeah. it's the same with. I think one of the moments in the record that stands out to me for that as well as Sonder. Yeah. When you kind of have these two gentle acoustic tracks and you can punching in with that electric guitar again. Oh yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah. It's a mad one. That, that was like. a sort of conscious decision um, <laughs> with anechoic chamber blues being so chilled. And then when that ends, we just wanted to like blow people's tits off. So that drum fill. I think that that track Sonder as well, I was going to say like that, that very much is like, that sums up the attitude that we had. Like Julian was very much like, try lots of things out, try new things out. And we, we were kind of, pushing each other to try different guitar tones and like different types of percussion and stuff. And I think that track in particular definitely sums up that whole like ethos that we tried to have. Yeah, yeah. We'd almost like purposely go in the other direction just for, just for a laugh. It was just the vibe in the studio at the time. <laughs> we were all like bouncing off the walls when we were recording that one. We were like, should we just do it live? And we were like, yeah, no click. No. So then we just like, <laughs> yeah, it, it was actually other than the vocals and maybe like, if there was any overdubs of guitars, that was all live. That yeah. one, yeah, it, it was very much like we would be like, like "Oh, let's let's all, make all one take. Let's make that guitar sound like a transformer sort of thing." So we just just try all these like mad pedals out, and it was just <laughs> that was the atmosphere in the studio. Like, I'm actually out of tune at the end and everything. <laughs> yeah, I think like, there's this sort of like bits. Queen Bohemian Rhapsody moment at the end, um, and like yeah. we were just pissed, and we were just like, "Should we just go and do it now, live?" We'd had a few few cans and that, and then we went in, and we were like, "Oh yeah, it's just part of the fact." We listened to it the next morning. We were like, "Oh my god, can we do that again?" And Julian was like, "Nope." Literally, <laughs> it's like, in the middle of the, the word. It's like, oh god, yeah, literally. 
did th- that song, Sondra, did that arrive off the back of kind of writing some of the more restrained songs on the album? Was it a direct response to that? Or did it kind of form separately? No, no. not really. I think we just start, started jamming it in the, in the uh, rehearsal room. Um, I think I just started as a jam. And to be honest, I don't think we ever intended it to be on the album. It just sort of came together really fast. Um, leading up to the album, the second album session. So then we had to make another decision to kick another track off. <laughs> but I think we'd always yeah. wanted we'd always wanted to include some of the sort of more balanced kind of slow songs because we'd always we'd always sort of toyed with that in the rehearsal room and being like, you know, if you're doing like a support slot or or whatever, you kind of have half an hour to play songs that people will either know or it's going to engage with pe- people are going to engage with it. So I think we always just kind of put those ones on the back burner, but we like doing a full album gave us the kind of scope to go. We we want to include that side of what we did. Yeah, we we had a song a while ago called "I've Become What I Am Not," which a lot of people love, and a lot like we had a lot of messages saying like, "Why hasn't that made the album?" But that was just another one of those songs that we never found the chance to properly um, release as a single because, like you say, we we were in a flow of just releasing single after single, and you always feel like pressured to make your singles like you know the short snappy punchy um you know some of that's yeah. gonna maybe make radio or whatever minute and a half long. yeah exactly so it's it's like <laughs> literally and as you know as time has went on that song's just been pushed aside and it's it, to be honest it's still a great song I, I, I always forget about it until people mention it but yeah we definitely wanted done. a moment like that on the album and i think anechoic had been written you know, quite recently to recording the album. So it made sense to, to put that one on. So as I've become, was I've become what I'm not more of a restrained one as well. One of the more kind of, yeah, it's almost, it, it was like, it like a grizzly bear feel to it. Um, yeah, it was, it, it, to, to be honest, it was a really nice track. I just don't think it was quite finished. Um, and then it's so, yeah. you know, sometimes it's like trial and error with those things. You're like, you play a song, until you play a song live, you don't know whether, and you, you maybe you see video back or something or how people responded or whatever. You don't really get a feel. You, you know, it's, it's that second opinion thing again. Like you don't really know if a track is completely like finished. I mean, when do you, when do you stop either, you know? But yeah, that was definitely- That's also one. kind of mad for you to say that because there's so many tracks on this album that we haven't played live yet. Yeah. Yeah, actually. Like, that's a kind of large, actually. <laughs> it's probably one of the first times where I don't know we've if... actually released, <laughs> we're going to release songs that, like, no one's heard and we've never really played. Yeah, live. I think it's we've only, uh, we've only played Medicine in that dress live. I know uh, we obviously had a, a live stream, but uh, that isn't a gig. Yeah, you don't have the same reaction from the audience yeah. in such a direct, visceral way. Yeah. I was more, to be honest, I was more talking about the slower ones because it's just, it, you know, you don't yeah. get that, re- you don't get that reaction. Like, you know, you hear glue and you just think, well, this is going to go down well live. You just know, don't you? Some, some you just know. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, things like I've become what I am not, even Anna Coke Chamber Blues. When, we, when would we ever get a chance to play that live unless we were playing in front of our, our own audience, not a support tour? I feel like that could be a really special moment at a headline though. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like yeah, a, an encore moment or something. But yeah, I mean, we haven't played a lot of these tracks live because of the global pandemic. But uh, <laughs> so that's that's one main factor. <laughs> Otherwise, we definitely would have yeah. got about the pandemic. <laughs> that that song, I've become what I'm not. Did it kind of? It sounds like it might have covered similar kind of lyrical territory to Infinite Pleasure, maybe. Kind of skirting around similar themes, or I suppose in a way, yeah, yeah. 
Um, maybe not infinite pleasure. But it's definitely in the way. same vein as Anacoke Chamber Blues. Just a pure guilt session. Just a pure like self-reflection one. A guilt session? <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I would probably say um, 80% of the songs I write are in a sort of like chilled, chilled manner. Is that is that the right terminology? I'd use the word melancholy. Melancholy, nice. More than chilled, chilled manner. manner. That chilled manner sounds like a, a weird haunted house. Uh, that sounds like a hotel or something. Yeah, I was gonna say. <laughs> sounds like a really cold that hotel. Would live. <laughs> Everyone's on acid or something in in this huge hotel. The chilled manner. Nice. Yeah. That's an album name as well. Yeah. <laughs> Are you in a different mental state when you write? one of the chilled manner songs compared to when you write one of the kind of stomping heavy chilled manner <laughs> um, genre chilled. we're running with that now um, yeah 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 <laughs> not to, to be honest sounds like a spotify playlist <laughs> yeah um no i don't know it's I, i'm always in a sort of different mental state with everything i write to be honest it's like it's weird because like i can feel a certain way and songs that i write will only ever be sort of like from a third person ambiguous perspective of just like maybe put myself in other shoes it's never really about how I feel in that moment very rare anyways but I guess my sort of mental state does reflect what I write I go through different phases of like I've started writing songs in like drop C like Queens of the Stone Age quite heavy and then I literally out of nowhere for a few months just start writing like acoustic songs yeah, it's just, it's all pretty random. I suppose it's like that for most artists, unless you really sit down and try and concentrate on a certain genre. But that's, that's never been the way I've worked personally. In fact, it's usually the opposite that comes out. It's interesting that you're saying there as well that you're right from someone else's perspective. Like you'll put yourself in someone else's shoes. Are you, what's feeling that? Are you consciously kind of finding a character that you find interesting and then writing from their point of view? Or are you kind of uncovering who they are through the process of writing the song? Um, It's more ambiguous. It's more really maybe if I think or feel something and then I'll sort of like create a world that's totally exaggerated around that, you know, rather than writing about myself, I sort of think, how would this situation be from a different perspective? How would it be? Just, just different situations really just, yeah. It's never usually about, about myself. And also, and I don't really like as well, I consciously do that as well. Cause I never like sort of explaining myself do you know do you know when people ask what a song is about and stuff if that was something that was really personal to me i think i'd find it quite hard to constantly explain that yeah how how does your understanding of the world of a song change when the other guys in the band come in and bring their parts to and kind of expand it out i mean it, it brings it to life you know um i'm not saying that every single song we've uh, we've ever written has been me bringing it in that because that, that would be a lie we quite often we're just having fun you know and, and we'll you know, some, some little spark and then one of us will quickly pull our phone out to record it and then that turns into a song. Um, it, but like songs that I've brought in, yeah, it, it brings it to life. And, and to be honest, during the pandemic, when we haven't been able to, like Tom's been on the opposite end of the country for most of it, I've, I've, I've really missed it. And I've, I've almost didn't realise how much I needed that. I was, I was talking to Tom about this last week. I didn't really realise how much I did need that, you know, that second opinion, that sort of like, just to bounce off each other when it comes to writing. Um, I've, hit a, I've hit a wall with a lot of things recently. I, I yeah, go through yeah. different phases of uh, having like mad writer's block and then all of a sudden I'll just churn out like 20 songs in a week. Well, that, that that's a massive over-exaggeration, but you know what I mean? Maybe yeah, 20 songs it. in a year. I'm quite a slow writer. Is there an event that triggers that sudden output? Do you, When you look back, do you see something that consciously puts you in that place? I think it's definitely just 
not concentrating on it. Like if, if I try and like, if I sit down, I'm like, you know, if I've got, you've, when you've got too much time on your hands, which I mean, most people have during this pandemic, you know, me personally, I'll be like, right, perfect time to do some writing. But as soon as I sit down to like forcefully write it, it just, it never works that way for me. So that usually when I take a step back, I can, um, I just have all these ideas flowing. It's funny what you're saying as well, because about, you know, realizing how much you miss just being in a room together and playing and kind of working through the songs, which it kind of ties into one of the themes of the record, which is this idea of connection. You know, you open the album on the line, are we all the same? Has your relationship to that theme and the way that you're kind of thinking about it changed in the last kind of year with the pandemic when that's something that's really been put at the forefront of everyone's mind? It's, to be honest, it's almost just heightened that sort of whole concept of it, especially that track, Infinite Pleasure. It sort of made me realise that when everything stops, when the world literally is at a halt, everything shuts, you know, everyone that um, that feels or thinks they're important suddenly doesn't have that sort of connection anymore. Then You know, they're not, you know, like people who go out and think they're class, they're like spending all this money, but you know, they're probably like weekend, <laughs> weekend rock stars, as they say. But like, what do, what do people, have, when we're all, when it all comes down to it and all our canvases have been painted blank, like we are all the same, you know? We're, we're constantly sort of comparing and um, portraying ourselves. Well, not, not everyone, but, you know, people portray themselves to be better than others or whatever. And when it all comes down to it and we've all had everything taken away from us, we are all the same and we, we all have the same basic human instincts. Is this something you'll kind of have conversations about as a group? Will you talk about what you're discussing on the album in that way and kind of explore it in conversation as well? Um, we definitely, like, talk about the lyrics. I think we, we definitely... Like I personally like to ask Adam what it is that he's wanting to sort of portray and like discuss. And we, we kind of have like discussions, but I don't think it's like a committee or anything. It's very much just kind of trying to understand what, yeah, it's like trying to understand what it, where he's coming conversation. from and what, what he's trying to say, just so that we know. Do you need to have that basis before you write a part that complements it? Do you need to kind of understand the song to fully kind of lock into gear in that way? Not in a musical sense, more just in a sort of, it's, it's nice to know yeah. what kind of emotion is being portrayed or what, what it's about. It's just kind of nice to know whether we're all on the same page, I guess. I don't know. I've never actually really thought about yeah, it. Yeah, like I'm not really into lyrics See, I that am. much. I listen to melody a lot more. I appreciate lyrics, obviously, and I en enjoy them if I delve in, uh, uh, but I usually just have a listen I think, I think that's actually just helped me answer what I was trying to say. Like, for me to connect with a song, I like, to, I like to know what the lyrics are about and I like to sort of know what I'm supposed to be feeling, maybe. I'm, I'm not sure, but I, I'm definitely, I get pulled into a song through the lyrics. Yeah, I feel like if, if I've written a decent set of lyrics, I always sort of force them upon you as well. I'm like, what do you think of this? And if you just don't like it, then you just get get. <laughs> <laughs> Do the songs ever surprise you, Tom? Will you feel a certain way and then you'll have a conversation about what it's about and that feeling maybe changes for you? I guess it's kind of weird because obviously we're all really close. So sometimes like Adam will put a song forward. I'll kind of see something in those lyrics or read into those lyrics because I know him and then he hasn't even realised that he's done that. I can't think of any examples off the top of my head, but there's definitely been a few times where 
I've been like, oh, that's definitely because of this. And that's, I know that he's felt this way over the past month or so, or something's happened in his life that's definitely like unconsciously shaped the way he's written something. But I guess I only know that because I'm really close to him. So it is quite interesting. I was just saying before about how, you know, I write from a third person perspective and other people's shoes and all this. I guess that's me just being quite modest about it as well. Cause like, I think when I write, there is something inside that, you know, I'm, I'm feeling that way for a reason. And that I often, to be honest, I often look back on my lyrics and I, I, I realize what that song's about after, you know, yeah. it's just, it is almost, it, it's definitely subconscious. Um, yeah. It definitely, your own like sort of experiences leak into the song though. Yeah, that, this is And it's also it. like conversations that we have, like we, we've talked about this before, but like we talked about the idea of Sonder and what that is. Yeah, and that was that was a really fun one. Yeah, and then it just it just leaks into the writing process. We'll, we'll, and then there's other songs where we'll have a discussion or like we'll discuss a concept and then that suddenly sort of pops up in the song. Sonder's an interesting one as well because it gets quite psychedelic at one point. You have that breakdown where it completely shifts gears. Was that something that was fueled by those conversations and what the topic of the song was about? Or is that something that just organically came in the process of quite organic to be honest? Coming together in the organic, just like, we, uh... It's quite a rowdy song and we were just like we were just sending it. We were just jamming and just sending it. And all of a sudden it went half time and we were just like, Oh yeah. <laughs> um but no, lyrically that that, that was a really fun one. When we were on our first European tour, we were like driving through like Nijmegen or you trying Nijmegen? Yeah. yeah, we were just in we were driving through like the countryside in, in uh the Netherlands. And you know, you drive past some of these houses and I'm telling you now, like this is all of a sudden this like you come into like a street and every single house has been like built differently, almost like the Sims. Like every single house is just like totally different and then we were all just like hold on a second someone lives there like someone literally has a life there and like they've got a family and they're in that they're probably in one of them rooms right now like what is going on like when i'm in wall's end when i'm literally like in newcastle he has like his own there. ambitions and emotions um, and like experiences yeah it's like you know you just you just totally forget there's a, a world outside of your own you know like yeah yeah in the sim in, even in the simplest ways that's what Sonder so we means, doesn't it? Like, yeah, our tour, our tour manager was just like, I'm sundering me tits off. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I've never heard that word before. What does it mean? So I Googled it and I was like, oh my God, here comes a song. Is it, so you, once you have that word, you, it's an easy jumping off point or is it more you're jumping off from the experience? Um, it was both. Um, you know, we, we were obviously experiencing that, but then to find out, you know, what that meant, it's almost like that word itself is just a, a whole world of possibilities. Lyrically, anyways. With Nothing Lasts Forever as well, was that a similar thing? Was that phrase the jumping off point for it? Because it feels like such an evocative thing to kind of centre a song around. It's a sort of that theme that runs through the album of, you know, the fickleness of the human race, I guess. That's so heavy. <laughs> um, yeah, nothing does last. That's Monday morning. Yeah, nothing, nothing does last forever. Like, And when you actually think about that as a sentence, it's like, literally nothing lasts forever. Like... It's, it's such a simple sentence, but everything good and everything bad in your life and even your life that will not last. It's just so, yeah, that's pretty deep actually, isn't it? Other than COVID, yeah. that's, that's lasting forever. It feels like it. Literally. <laughs> <laughs>
you know, you'll see, we were talking there with Sonder where you'll, you see that person, suddenly this revelation is triggered and you go down that thought pattern. What would trigger a thought pattern for something like Nothing Lasts Forever and kind of thinking about that idea of how finite everything is, mortality and everything? What puts you down that path? Yeah. Well, to be honest, that song doesn't really go down. I mean, it's like the way I've just described it, it makes it sound like really deep, like sort of like a a bit like the infinite pleasure concept. I suppose it it links in that way. But the song itself is actually, it's almost like a conversation um, between two uh, in a relationship. And it's almost like the, the journey of the song is like, it's basically, oh shit, I fucked it. And then it's like, oh no, now they fucked it. <laughs> That's literally it. It's just like a journey of like, like a back and forth of, and there's a moment in the second verse where it says they whisper, nothing lasts forever. So that was where, that was literally where that concept came from. It wasn't anything too deep. It's got the Vivian Westwood line on it as well, doesn't it? Oh yeah, I yeah. Think. And the bag. Yeah. There, one or something. <laughs> the, the first, oh though? yeah, yeah. Um, she keeps her cats in a quilted Vivian Westwood and pulls them out when you least expect it. That was a sort of meant to be like the cats out of the bag. But when it, everyone I've shown, when I've asked, have they realised that's what that means? They were like, no. And I was like, oh, shit. If I'm actually honest, I never noticed that. Yeah, well, there we go. Maybe like, I should start. And I'm, I'm literally in the band. I yeah. have no idea. No, it's meant to be like the cats out of the bag. She like... That's a decent lyric, that Something's actually, been well revealed. Done when you least expect it so yeah I had to mint that well then <laughs> that's what that means Jack <laughs> there you have it those references always jumped out to me when I listened to it. like you've got the Vivian Westwood one there there's a line about Napalm in the morning and I think Netflix is referenced as well are these conscious things you put into the song because you like the way they sound and the connotations of them or do they just kind of come out through the process it came out in the process and then I have a sort of thinking period of whether it's Right. And a bit, yeah, a bit, maybe like I had a big think process about the, um, there's a, a lyric about Brexit. Yeah. There's a lyric about Netflix in Frank Sinatra. And I just thought in the end, I just thought, I guess this is an odd day and age now, isn't it? It's like, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it feels relevant. It's not like I'm delving into the subject. It's just at the time of writing that Brexit was everywhere and then you know that track Frank Sinatra is about having to bow down to the to the higher powers of you know no matter what we moan about politically or no matter what we don't like or you know like it is the way it is and we have to we have to live through it um they'll always win you know what I mean they, they will always win um yeah that, that lyric Brexit for breakfast we eat what they tell us to bring order to the chaos I think <laughs> there won't be a sequel to binge watch on Netflix yeah, yeah. and that's the other one Oh yeah! <laughs> Isn't there also a lyric in that one about yeah. Game of Thrones or something like that? I'm well, it was sure. Yeah, the second verse is about it's um it again? the uprising is cancelled. That lyric. Oh yeah, um, your favorite character got capital punishment. <laughs> the uprising is cancelled. I guess that was about yeah. my stock and my experience. Your mate Sean Bean. Yeah, yeah, literally. <laughs> <laughs> What happened? You had a running with him, didn't you? Yeah, it was weird that. Um, we <laughs> that running sounds into, like we had a fight with him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he pulled his sword out on me and we were like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I beheaded him. Um, <laughs> yeah, we were loading into a venue in Liverpool in like 2016, maybe. And he was walked past. Yeah, That's I don't know what he was really. doing in Liverpool. And we were just like, oh, yeah, he lives there. Oh, does he? He's from Sheffield. Yeah, appar- apparently lives there, yeah. Okay. That makes yeah, sense. Yeah, our, our, our mate we were with was, it's like, is that him? We were just like, ah, let's get a photo. And he, he was all right. He didn't say a word. 
Yeah, yeah. You missed every time. I missed all of it. Then. I missed. I missed the entire experience because I'd like we pulled up outside the venue and I, I went, oh, I'll go inside and check where we can park. <laughs> and then when I came back, they were all like, we've just met Sean Bean. And I was like, oh, great. Perfect. Do, do you know what? In hindsight, I think you would have really respected if I went, Boromir. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, literally. And then you would have just looked at us, like looked directly at my eyes and went, oh, gee. Oh, gee. Wasn't he 006 as well, though? Yeah. Is that, was he yeah, yes. I've never yeah. seen it. But, uh, no way. He's, he's in I'm, I'm going to have a look at that. Yeah. I never knew that. One second. Sean yeah. Bean, Golden oh, do Eye. I do. I just... <laughs> I want to have a look how old he is. No, God, yeah, it is. I know he was a, a Bond buddy. There he is. <laughs> there he is. <laughs> he looks a bit like a CGI yeah, character literally. in that photo. <laughs> <laughs> like he's been de-aged like, for a Star Wars yeah. movie or something. Did you, did you see that. the Irishman? Yeah. Did you see when they like they did CGI? Um, was it Joe Pesci and Robert De Niro? It looked horrific. Did that I give them different really, kind of eyes? It was what's weird. What's that film yet? I found it really jarring because it was like Robert De Niro like stepping off the back of a truck, and they were like, "Hey, young guy, come over here." And <laughs> like, he was supposed to be like thirty, but he looked about hundred. Yeah, it's like slightly <laughs> airbrushed his face, and then just give him purple eyes or something. It's like a twenty-year-old bloke like holding his back, The thing that's weird about that as well is that. It doesn't look like young Robert De Niro. It looks like they've taken Robert De Niro now and tried to make him like, yeah, it's bizarre. It literally looks like they tried to make Robert De Niro in a test tube. (laughs) (laughs) A Petri dish, just like a little. Yeah. It's funny, we were were speaking like a few moments back about how the references come out like very organically in the process to a certain extent, which is something that we've, we've come back to a few times. That side to the process where you can just allow things to happen does that make reworking something like that dress quite easy? Because you can kind of just put it into your process and let it organically turn into a bigger version of itself? Yeah, it was only ever going to be that way for me because, um, you know, we were so close to dropping the song. We've been playing it for years. And there was a few people on our team who had suggested that we maybe rework it because it was a demo. It never, you know, never got released as a single. It never went to radio. It never, you know, all that. So I guess for me, it was make or break. It was like, if we can make this better naturally by not forcing mm-hmm. it. We'll do it. But if it's, if it does sound forced, we will not do it. And, you know, I think it does sound a lot like the original. I think a lot of people were saying it was, it was quite different, but it basically just has a bit more swag to it. I think it's a bit more like in a black keys esque vein rather than sort of in like, it's, a, it's more rocky than it is indie. Now, yeah. I get that. Um, when you yeah. compare them. I think it's struck. It's got a better structure. It's like the structures. I prefer it in every way. Like, yeah, it's just got like you know we're we're a band full of riffs and we just we just put a few more you know riffs in and you know breakdowny bits and yeah and we to be honest it was it the moment for me was uh, we were just playing along and seeing what we could do with it and then I sort of just came up with that new lyric and melody in the chorus um, because it used to repeat itself a lot but now it's got that show me the door bit and uh we all looked at each other and we were like okay this is going somewhere so it was completely organic um and yeah it transformed it in the best way because it, it's really subtle i think it's it's not that different it just sounds better how, how was the response to it? how did it go down the mix yeah it was very the thing is I, I never considered it I, I when we were recording it i was just like this this sounds so much better yeah, yeah. 
I don't really understand how anyone is going to so, who likes the song already is going to disagree with what we've oh, done. Dead. <laughs> there's, there's always people that will, which we found out. Yeah, but it, the whole sort of like that was the one moment in the album where we were like, give the people what they want. They want a super up version <laughs> yeah. of that dress. Turns out fucking nobody wanted that. No, I'm joking. Um, it's, uh, yeah, to be honest, it, it's that thing, isn't it? Where it's like, you can get, have 90% good feedback and it's always that 10% that'll get you, that you concentrate on. And in your own mind, you turn that into 90%. It honestly, the reaction was amazing. And um, the only thing this time was people had something else to compare it to. So, you know, we had that backlash, that very small backlash of people who preferred the original, which is absolutely fine. Each to their own. Um, yeah, it's fine. I mean, that, that version's still up if people want to listen to it, but they will understand when the album comes out, they will completely understand why we had to do that because the demo would not fit in the in the album um, sonically. Yeah, it, the, the new version sounds like the rest of the album, whereas the, the demo... The demo sounds like it was five years ago. You know what I mean? We've just matured a bit. And, and also, it's 100% us uh, uh, that has to perform it every night. So, Well, I mean, we've been playing it like that for a while. <laughs> you know, um, it's, it's, people get, it's that thing as well. You know, it's like we, we can get sent a mix. Let's say Julian sends us a mix. First time I heard the Take Your Time mix, I went, whoa, no thanks. Uh, delete. <laughs> Start again. And then I listened to it a few more times and I was just like, yeah, actually, you just need your ears to adjust, you know, and I'm sure a lot of people that were, you know, not digging that dress when it came out a few weeks ago, I'm sure a lot of them will like it now, but they wouldn't uh, think to tweet with that, would they? <laughs> they would just uh, go with their initial reaction. Do you think you would have had the same response from those people had you just put it out in the context of the record itself and not dropped it as a single prior to it? Yeah, I think, you know, it, it would be on people's radar to probably listen to that first and be like, what have they done here? Yeah, to be honest, I'm, I'm glad we did this. I'm glad we got that out of the way because, you know, like I say, 90% of people liked it and um, prefer it. Um, in fact, I think someone tagged us in something with like a poll being like, which one do you prefer? And 100% voted for the new one. So that that was like, that, that gave me a bit more perspective because when you're in the moment concentrating on the negativity and, and wondering, have we done the right thing? It's nice to see you know, people naturally voting for the new one. Also, I guess we've never actually really been subjected to that much negativity at this point. Yeah, that was, I, I like, thought that was nice. That was, yeah, like, it I almost felt like it. we'd sort of like passed through a, like a barrier of like, you know, you, you sort of think to yourself, okay, maybe we've sort of reached a new height, you know, like maybe it's time you know, because there's a lot of, you know, when you're in a band, there's a lot of you, you've, you've got a very, uh, like a circle, you're like an enclosed fan base who are constantly, you know, they, they, they're your fans, they're going to love it. So when you start breaking through that wall and people start hearing it who don't necessarily like it or like you as a band, that's also nice to see because you're reaching, you're reaching yeah, like, yeah. you know. New audiences. A new audience. Once you've got yeah, the trolls exactly. coming after you. And we have had a lot <laughs> oh. of them as well. <laughs> Yeah, but, but we, have the goblin King. <laughs> we have the Goblin King to slay the trolls. Jolian! <laughs> so w w for the for the album sessions, was were they both at Big Jelly? Other than Medicine. Yeah, the, yeah. Only, the only track that wasn't recorded there was Medicine. That was at Livingston in London. Yeah, so the, obviously that was recorded as a single and then we did Unnatural in the same way. But then when we started the album sessions, we wanted to 
go somewhere that was like residential where we could like record for as long as we want and then just go to bed like, like really immerse ourselves in doing that yeah so in livingston didn't have that um didn't have accommodation i don't think uh, i didn't so no so yeah it's livingston's mad it's like it's like a tiny studio on a sort of it's opposite an iceland shop and literally when you go in like on the walls like like Beyonce's being there, yeah. but it's literally next door to like what, a Weatherspoons. In it's like next door to Weatherspoons in an Iceland, and there's just Whoa, a studio that's had the like... Weatherspoons, where was that? <laughs> yeah, we went, we went Oh, the we big one. That's ages yeah. away, that man. That's like a 20-minute walk. Well, I thought you meant I mean. like opposite. It's, wait, it's, it's, up the, it's up the road, <laughs> isn't it? Uh, Do you know what I mean? Let's not get into the logistics of the Weatherspoons. <laughs> let's not get pedantic about where the Weatherspoons is. I would fucking love a, a spoon's large breakfast right now have to be a large breakfast uh, that'll be nice nothing else that'll i mean i don't class. like giving uh, him my money but you can take it for all i care yeah that would be good luck did it feel different being in a residential oh yeah definitely it was it was exciting because it, it felt like we were really like living it we were like really immersed in it you could get we literally would like get out of, bed, out of our little bunk beds and like <laughs> go down the, this there was a spiral staircase that would lead into the kitchen and we'd make We'd make some uh, breakfast and then we'd just go straight in and we'd spend all day just really digging in and get, uh, getting into everything. It was, it was. You basically just walk up in the studio, yeah. Didn't you? And it was, uh, which was amazing. You know, it was just a nice environment. It be. was amazing, but also that there gets a point where you need to have some outside time because it does get really intense. Yeah, I don't know if I actually went out in the first like week or oh, something. Well, maybe like that's that. just me. I like I like to. I went. <laughs> oh, I, I went. I went mental though. That's what I mean. I literally had to leave. Yeah, yeah. It's just it, like gives you, it gives you perspective yeah. if you kind of walk outside, have a coffee, and then come back. Yeah. But I, I did really like <laughs> yeah. the sort of process of like living in the studio. It definitely, it definitely added to the vibe of the album that we could just sort of pick pick out yeah, the guitars up on the morning and just like crack straight on. How long were the days? Oh, some of them were very long. Too long, baby. <laughs> some of them would start at like 10 o'clock and we'd go to like one in the morning. And then other ones when we weren't necessarily like making big breakthroughs, probably 11 till nine. They were, they were pretty long days though. I think Jack spent about three days on a drum fill once. <laughs> that was definitely a moment where we needed to get yeah. some fresh air. Yeah, it was the one in Nothing Lasts Forever. Of the big one. Yeah, the it's like a drum fill that sort of repeats. And we wanted to do it in a way where, you know, you didn't know when the drum fill was going to stop. And <laughs> believe me, it just didn't stop. And we it had to be like, stop. Jack, it's been three days now. <laughs> it wasn't three days. It was about, realistically, about two and a half hours. Which Come is, on, we spent a full day on Which is too long. Chair. We literally we didn't. Had, we, Jolian had to literally take us for a drive because we, we went. <laughs> yeah, had, had to like take us round the block. <laughs> Get, get some perspective. <laughs> oh, and uh, we actually <laughs> went into a wake. We didn't mean oh, to do yeah. this. We into a wake accidentally on that day. Julian that was, was like, right, was lads, I'll drive you somewhere, have a pint, and just like not think about this drum fill for like an hour. And, and watch it all blow over. And, and we got there, <laughs> and we sat down, and we were like, bit of a weird vibe in here, isn't it? And then <laughs> we, we realised we'd walked into a wake, and like everyone was like crying and that, into their pints, and I was just like, What's going on? It was on? a hard. Yeah. It, it was a hard one to drink. Like I was just like, 
It was probably the yeah. worst point. In it was that. It was that moment when we all looked around and we're like, "Why is everyone in black suits? Like, and why? Why is there a big like PowerPoint of this person? And they're just there's just like family photos going across. And then we were like, "Oh no." All right. Oh, oh shit. God, it was really oh, awkward. That wasn't great. Wasn't I think it? that just sums up us as a band, really. I think either it's a cult or it's a wake. You've kind of got one or two options there. Wake's probably the better one to go for. <laughs> Possibly. <Yeah. laughs> we stayed for far too long anyways. We realised it was yeah. awake within two minutes and we stayed for like an hour. You had another few pints. You all had to buy around. Yeah. <laughs> There's the album budget card. Some pints. Yeah, literally. Is there a slide in Big Jelly as well? That yeah. I hear? There is. <laughs> yeah, and it goes, it leads directly into a wall. <laughs> it's incredible though. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's basically like because the control room is like, like hover. It doesn't hover, but it's like it's suspended a, above the live room. Um, Imagine it's suspended. Yeah, it's yeah, it's it's like it's basically basically a room like built within a room. Um, so you like you go up these like make make makeshift yeah. stairs. They're not makeshift. They look makeshift. Yeah, they're makeshift stairs. Let's just say they're makeshift. Yeah, they are. Um, so you're in the control room. Let's say you just want to change a mic, or you know you're going to quickly do another take. You just literally fly down this uh, slide. But we started like doing it. We started going full pelt down the slide. Like it was getting ridiculous. It's actually in a recording of a tune. What is it again? Well, we wanted it's to. It, I think it's, it's in, in the, the song, screams. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it's, it's not. We, we at the end of the first session, we wanted to put it at the start of the album and slow it down and stuff. But I don't think we ever did. But yeah, we we spent about an hour recording us going down the slide, and that just goes to show how mad we went. To be honest, didn't they? Uh, didn't they drive down the motorway? The two the two guys that own the studio. They like attached it to the back of a van because they picked it up somewhere. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> on the Dude, roof. What was that story again? Yeah. It's yeah. just like, so it's just them. for anyone that wants to imagine this slide, just it's imagine canny big. a canny big park slide. <laughs> like just a big metal thing, about 20 foot high or something. Yeah. Um, 20 foot, would you say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd say about that. Yeah, yeah. It's a big slide. Yeah. Yeah. It's a pretty big it is slide. Big. It is big. It's class. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> when... When you think back to that recording process, what image or memory kind of comes to mind that best surmises the experience for you? A cowboy hat. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I bought this uh, cowboy hat at Glastonbury and it's just sort of become a thing that when I record now, I'll just wear it for a laugh. I wear a Wayne's World hat. <laughs> yeah, but this, this cowboy hat though, like all this, the studio photos that like Jack took, it just looks like I'm being like walking around with this cowboy hat thinking I'm class. When really it it's was ironic. a big laugh. Yeah. Um, but then I had to take the spurs off my boots though because they were getting on me now. <laughs> I, uh, I, I think of Bloody Mary cocktails as well. Yeah. We, we drank a lot of Bloody Mary cocktails. Yeah, we definitely had like three. <laughs> it, definitely, in like a month. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. Yeah, the studio guys, one of them like used to work at a cocktail bar so you just kept like, feeding cocktails. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. It, do you know what? The... the both sessions were really fun. I really like strained my voice on the first one. So I was like trying to hold it together the first time, um, which to be honest was a lot of the reason why we had, well, to be honest, not why we had to go back a second time, but there was a lot of tracks we did on the first session, like Nothing Lasts Forever and Infinite Pleasure, which I just couldn't do vocals on because I'd like blow my voice out. Because basically when, um, you know, you start tracking the songs, you need to sort of get a guide vocal and stuff down. But when you've been sort of doing that for like, you know, in the pre-production, you've been doing that for like eight hours, you realise you've been singing for far too long. And then when it actually comes to recording your vocals, like, done it in. So yeah, 
the, I basically what I'm trying to say is I, I enjoyed the uh, the second time a lot more. I think I, I did as well. To be honest, able to like yeah, have a lot more fun and actually speak without hurting and a drink as well. Yeah, <laughs> you weren't yeah, able, able to the first, the first time. time. Uh, second time, I just enough. got the cowboy hat on, didn't I? Are you able to relax a little more too because you've laid the foundations there and some of the hard work is kind of out of the way at that point? Yeah, but I, I guess with those tracks, yeah, but um, we definitely had like nine more tracks to record when we got there, I think. Yeah, I think, it, yeah, it was nine actually, at the interlude as well. I think I think the other like exciting part about the second album session, the, sorry, not the second album session, the second session for the album was that we knew that the album was going to come out the first time we went to do the session, it, we knew there was an album coming, but it felt, it just felt more real the second yeah. time. Like we, we actually had an album that was coming together and it was going to actually come out. I think the first time it wasn't, we weren't really sure what was going to happen. Yeah. I mean, we're, look, we're, we're not a band that's signed to a major label or anything, you know? So you go into it with high hopes of um, like the first album session, you know, we, we, we didn't have a budget for an album. We just, you just sort of, well, we, we just sort of, we went in, we recorded and hoped that we could shop around and get a budget for an album, you know? So obviously there was a lot of mm -hmm. um, nerves that first time, I guess. Whereas the second time we did have a budget for the album. So we were just like, we could relax. Well, for me personally, anyways. Yeah, that's, I think that's what I was trying to say. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So we've, we've done the whole, the pale white has literally just been us three lads for a few years, just blagging it <laughs> um, with no real plan, you know? Just like, and then... Little Northern Hobbits. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. So yeah, it was definitely, you know, it was a nice feeling going in the second time being like, this album's going to come out. It's actually going to happen. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well. HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 